Here we are with another brand new episode of Learning As I Go. I'm just really excited to have a heart to heart with a good friend of mine, but someone who's achieved so much in his career. Going from being a promoter in Marbella to then starring in the first ever X on the Beach on MTV to now running a multi-million pound business. He's been on an incredible journey and today we are going to talk about the highs, the lows and more importantly where he's up to now. Introducing Ross Warswick. always had you in line for my podcast but I kind of wanted to do it in the right order because for me like people don't really know the real Ross in my opinion like the layers to you that I've known obviously I've known you for like 15 years now obviously I've just come back from my beef I've just been to your wedding to the beautiful Danielle and there was just a moment mate where I was just so proud of you for the life that you've created from being the lad that I knew back in our partying days, throwing parties together, you at Bijou, then coming over to Avisa and everything else. But to see the life that you created, the business, the family, the friends, that wedding was such a spectacle. I was just so proud and I thought, you know what? Like we need to talk about the journey to get there. Let's go back to the start, right? So for me, Ross, my first memory of you was um, Mr. Marbella. Like literally, <laughs> literally you and Joss in Marbella, obviously I was throwing parties in Manchester and you guys were kind of running that whole sort of nightlife scene in Marbella and you just create a real sort of name for yourself, a brand around Ross Walswick. So how did you end up in Marbella and what took you to that point? It was actually interesting really. The reason why I first initially went there was because I was, I was still racing at the time and I needed to find more sponsorships to be able to race a year after managed to raise a little bit of sponsorship, but not Wait enough. a second, let's put this into context. When you say you were racing, right? Like, you were a racing car driver. Yeah, so at the time I was racing Formula Renault, which is, you know, the equivalent now of Formula 3, so three levels below Formula 1. Wow. And it was obviously required a massive amount of funding to, to race. And then the next step would have, would have been, you know, progressing further on. But back then it was probably at its peak or its height of what, you know, it was the, the number one place to be. And there was a lot of, there's a lot of, say, wealthy people there, but also there's a lot of wealthy people spending. So I saw it as obviously, I knew a few people there and a few friends that had places there. And I went over there and was kind of speaking to a lot of, you know, the owners and people that were making a lot of money but wanted to advertise the business a little bit more. So you ended up doing a full summer in Marbella and you were living this sort of rock star life. Like I remember seeing it from a distance going, I want to be Ross's mate. I want to look like Ross. You had abs from the age of like 13. You've always looked incredible. And it just looked really glamorous. Was it as good as it looked? Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty, yeah, it was pretty <laughs> I good. I love that. Yeah. It's like, it was one of them where, again, you know, you, you're promoting clubs, you're, you're filling clubs, you're filling venues. But it's like the trick of the nightlife trade over there. Like, you know, we'd have, big bottles of vodka on the table and it was like the promoter's table. Again, we we filled the club, we won't be paying for that. Mm. So, you know, I was I was in a position where I could do things that I could never afford to do. Yeah. Because we were doing such a good job. Right. 
Uh, it wasn't me paying for it. So I suppose it, it, it was as good as it seemed. You know, like I was working hard. You know I mean, I was on my feet 12 hours a day, like doing six hour day shifts and little things like that and making sure the team were doing what they were meant to do, which is hard when you're in a party environment. Yeah. People, you know, hung over one day, like struggling. So we were working hard and we we're filling the venues. So it was, you know, it was hard work, but at the same time, the play was good. Oh, it was amazing because I remember your job pretty much essentially was you used to stand at the front of Port Banus, right? Looking slick in your nice blazer with Joss and everything else. And then your job was to take all the fit girls, right, who were walking onto the port and take them to the best nightclubs, give them bottles of vodka, and you got treated like a king. And that's pretty much essentially what it was. But the same time is though, like you said, it was a job and it was business. And I think your biggest skill um, and quite similar to mine, I reckon, is, is networking and building yeah. relationships. Did you treat it like the start of a career back then or was it just literally cashing on and living a life? No, you know what? I, I probably now look at it and think, you know what, maybe I should have, but if I, probably if I did, I might not have been as good at it. Mm. I just literally was living for the moment and enjoying every second of it. I wouldn't say I was spending all the cash I was earning, but I was just enjoying every second of it. So none of it really felt like much work. And like you said, that pretty much was my job. Mm. So it was the easiest job in the world. Like when everyone wants to go to a place anyway, and you basically handpick who you want to give a free bottle of vodka to on the table, like, wow, it's the easiest thing in the world. Like, and it, the easiest way to network, because then once you're in there and you've given all the groups of girls that like every guy spending money in their wants on their table, they'd then come to you and be like, oh mate, can you introduce me? So then you'd meet all the people that are spending money. So you'd have a network of like, obviously all the, all the girls probably, that were there and then all the wealthy clients as well. So it kind of built up an amazing network without really trying. And that's something that I always want to talk about because I had a big sort of long career in partying and, and, and meeting people from different places. But Marbella was kind of like the, like the epicenter of wealth and networking in terms of like you were meeting people from all over London, literally all over the world. And your network was becoming stronger and stronger. And it's so interesting how now, obviously you're in business, how much value that's added to your business career. And you don't even realise at the time what that's doing, do you? No, didn't realise at all. But like being honest with you, that's probably a massive, massive part in our success is the fact that not just obviously UK, but internationally as well, you know, we've met a lot of people over the years. And it's like to even think of the amount of people you've met over a summer, it's just obscene. And you probably met them, got the number, spoke to them, speak to them. So it's kind of not just like, oh, I've just met him and I've said hello to him. They'll be messaging you again to book them in the next day and the yeah. next day for their whole trip. Granted, you might not speak to them for months, but a lot of these people come back and forth. So you'd stay in touch with them year after year. And it was like, when we started the business, obviously to, to a lot of them people, they probably didn't take us serious as you know, businessmen or people when we're in the nightlife scene. But when they see that you've started a business, I've had loads of support from some of you know the clients that I did used to book tables for and they used to spend a lot of money promoting the business for me, helping mm. me because they're like, oh wow, he's got an actual business now. It's not just, you know. But that's something, I really, that's something I really want to talk about because obviously you did Marbella, then you came back to Manchester. Me and you started working together on a visa and even BG on a Saturday night for anyone who's from Manchester. If you remember that in its heyday, it was amazing. But at the same time, it's like, we earned good money yeah. and we lived a certain life, but we weren't really respected. Yeah. Like people just thought these these guys are just party boys. They're out till whatever time of, time of night, well, time of morning. Um, <laughs> and we were pretty much, I feel, like looked at a little bit like dossers because if I'm honest, we lived a very relaxed lifestyle. Like I did a party once every every week on a Thursday night 
And literally that's all I did for about seven years. But don't get me wrong, there's a lot of work that went around it yeah. in terms of coming up with ideas to fill that event, networking, going to certain places, everything else. But I do remember a massive feeling of not feeling like I was taken seriously or respected. Did you ever feel like that? 100%. I think that's one of the biggest challenges in the night that I've seen is people not taking it seriously. But when you're hungover, you don't feel like it and you're still going to an event and you're still speaking to people and you're still building up a network and still working on your own event. So all these things behind the scenes that no one really sees. It shows resilience. It yeah. does actually show, it sounds daft, like if you're hungover and you have to still turn up to your night and put on a brave face and everything else, you, you're actually building up resilience and respect for a business because it is a business at the end of the day. That's exactly it. And, and the thing is with it, like people look at it as, you know, oh, it's, you just, it's just a night, it's just on. But it doesn't, doesn't just happen. It's like any business, you think about all the different aspects that go into the night. Someone's got to organise them and that was us. Mm. And I think it, the whole night I've seen probably needs a little bit more respect. I think it is starting to get it now because you're seeing some of these people now and I look at them and I think, wow, your contacts now are unbelievable. Like mm. they're mixing with some big stars, some big rappers and things like that. And they're just a nightclub promoter. Mm. But they're not just a nightclub promoter, they're a networker, they're a businessman. They are all these different things that back then people probably never looked at us like. Yeah, but I think it comes back to the fact that in our 20s, early 20s to around, I reckon to around 28, I was a little bit aimless in terms of, I didn't really think about the bigger picture. I wasn't thinking about my, my career or anything like that. And I think the first sign of that was when um, we launched the selfie stick business with um, Tom Curl, Scott Sasha, who's obviously your business partner now. And basically... We created this business and we started utilizing all our contacts, sending out the selfie sticks to all these influencers and celebs who used to come to our parties and they used to post about us and everything else. And then we rented this massive warehouse where we had all the selfie sticks in. And then we started to get the taste for business. We started to be thinking, wait a second, there's a bigger picture here like that's going to last a lot longer than just earning cash every weekend. And then I remember that's when you approached us with your idea and I remember it like it was yesterday. We went to Nando's just around the corner here. Yes. Um, and you said to me you wanted to do a clothing brand. And just to put a, a bit of a time check in for me, have you done X on the Beach before Couture Club? Filmed it. You filmed it before, but you weren't actually, it wasn't actually out yet. At the point Couture Club launched, which was the end of May 2015, I think it had aired in the January. So it had, but there was a lot of work in going on in the background to get it launched and also the show was filmed months and months in advance. Okay, so let, let's set the scene as well before we go into Couture Club and the rise of this amazing brand. Like, literally, I remember when me and Ross, this is true, me and Ross went to the X on the Beach audition together and I was dying for it. I wanted to do it. It was like, a, basically, it was the new, like... It's called Summer of Love, wasn't it? Summer of Love. This is before Love Island. This is before anything else. And I was desperate in my own little way to be on TV. I wanted to be like my brothers. And I went to this audition with Ross and I thought, you know what, I'm going to smash this because I felt like I had a bit of the gift of the gab and everything else. And I went in there and we did our audition and I didn't get the job. But Ross <laughs> got the job and literally... That series, it was one of the first ever reality shows. You had Towie, then you had Geordie Short, and then it was X on the Beach, yeah. right? And you blew up. I mean, when I say blew up, you got like, didn't you have like um, nearly 200,000 followers overnight? Yeah, and I think back then that was a lot. Like now you do oh. a show, and if you don't get a million, you're kind of like a bit like, well, what's, got, what's was, going on here? It was, it was ridiculous back, back then. then. It was massive. It was like, you know, you're, the whole world's changed a lot since then. Yeah, That's a claim to fame, that right there. <laughs> that is a claim to fame. like Because like you said, it's still running now. Yeah. Bizarre. I, I haven't watched anything for a very long time, but yeah, it's... Um... And listen, that show at the end of the day, like, 
I don't want to say it's tacky, but it probably was. Oh, it was, yeah. It probably was a little bit tacky, but it suited what you needed at the time because you were a nightclub promoter. Um, you had this vision for a brand in your head to have followers and everything else. So it was part of the jigsaw puzzle that led to your success, right? Exactly, yeah. It's part, it was... I didn't really have to do anything. I was doing living my life on, yeah. on TV for a bit and, and everyone that was on there, I knew, everyone on there kind of thing was, you know, like in the same scene as I was. So it's kind of like basically just might as well just turn the cameras on my normal life for a little bit. And, and, and then you came out of there and then you were doing nightclub PAs. So basically yeah. you used to have to get paid to, for bringing people to clubs, but now you were getting paid to go and be hosted. So it was just basically the same what you're doing, but probably more money. Yeah, that was, yeah, that's the thing. I was just earning more money. And, and it's like, everyone always asked me like, when you went on, what, what did your life change? And I was like, not at all really, because... I was still going to the same clubs we were already working with and going to the same places. But the difference is I was probably, more people knew who I was than did before. That's exactly what I say, like, no, like without sort of trying to sound all super cool. Like when I did Love Island, my life didn't massively change. I was already mixed in those circles with my brothers, with you guys, everything mm. else. But it was just like more fame. But at the same time is though, I remember being around you after that and I was, there was an element of me being so proud that like, literally like, you're Ross Warzik from X to the Beach and it sounds weird now to talk about it like that, but it was cool, man. Yeah. It was so cool. I think it was different, wasn't it, back then? There was so little things on TV that it was like any sort of, any of your friends getting any sort of fame was like, you just loved it. Like you buzzed off it and you just wanted to like, all be together, do you know what I mean? It's like you go for, just grab some food at Wagon or something like that, and then people be asking for pictures. You like buzz off each other, yeah. you're like, oh man, that was sick. Whereas now it's different, you know, we're older and kind of matured a lot since then. But it was back then when we were younger. But it's just it's so interesting now when you look at and you piece these little moments in your life together from Marbella, building up that network, then going on doing next on the beach, and it all kind of built this this profile and this network that then enabled you to, to launch Couture Club. And I'll be honest with you, when you came to to see me about Couture Club and Scott and stuff like I thought, you know what, like, we'll give it a go. I actually, I'm, I'm gutted I'm going to say this as well. I actually had 5% of Couture Club at one point, guys, right? 5%. And I gave it away, which we'll come to it in a minute. So let's talk about the start of Couture Club. Like, you came in towards and you went, I've got this idea for this brand. I really want to give it a go. And to be honest, I really respected you because you had such a good eye for fashion. You were one of the coolest kids I know. So where did that passion for fashion come from? It's a bit of a strange one, really. Like, ever since I was probably about 13, 14, like, I was just into my clothes. So, like, at school, I'd always wear, like, when we go out, like, probably a bit mad gear and things like that. <laughs> but I loved it from school. And other than racing, it was really the only thing I was interested in. Like, I was very good at art school. That was pretty much my number one subject. But, and then clothing, to me, was almost like my actual art you know it's kind of the same thing so it's the way you express yourself like yeah and i think for me the coolest people in fashion are the ones who just don't care you've built a club now to be a multi-million pound business but if we go back to the start you had to take a big risk at the start and i remember you started Couture club with like a five grand investment and you actually had to borrow that from your mum is that right <laughs> yeah yeah so i asked my dad he said no <laughs> um <laughs> and then i, I asked my mum and she was like one it's all I've got but you can have it oh bless her so um you, you've met my mum she's amazing like just an inspiration like just the nicest woman in the world she really is she's just got the best energy yeah so um so literally it was you know it was all, all she had and she lent me it so she didn't put any pressure on me which I think you know when, when you bought any money off anyone there's always that pressure um and I didn't feel the pressure I just kind of knew that I'd I'd at least make the money back to, to give it her back, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, it's amazing. We, we wouldn't, wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for that. Like, I probably wouldn't have 
at that time, I probably wasn't anywhere near as motivated or believed in myself as much as I do now. So I probably mm. wouldn't have gone and tried to find extra funding everywhere else, if I'm honest. I probably mm. would have just been like, oh, I don't have the money, I can't really start it. Or, you know, asked, asked a few other friends and things like that. But yeah, it's all down to her, really. Oh, man, like, I can just tell when you talk about your mum, like, there's just a level of, like, warmth there and love and... I feel like it's weird, isn't it, when we talk about five grand investment now to start a business. It actually, you won't get very far now, nah. would you? But like back then, it was it was a huge amount of money for you to take that risk. And I feel like for anyone listening, if they are debating starting up a business and taking that risk and maybe leaning on friends or family to, to help them do that, enable them to do that, what kind of advice would you give them? Do you know one thing that I didn't do, which I wish I'd done more, is, is give my mum a bit more information about what I was doing. She kind of just like gave me it and... And like was like she checking like how things going, but I never really like. Not that you have to run everything by them, but she, I know she wants to wanted to be not part of it, but she wanted to know more about it. What was mm. the, what's happening? What's going on? And it's like I would let them enjoy the experience with you because it is an experience. It's an amazing experience growing a business and starting a company from you know nothing and however far it gets, however big, small, whatever it is, starting a business is a, is an amazing thing to do and a really you know, enjoyable process. So like, whoever you get to invest in, share it with them. Like, give them the, inf like, give them the information, like, give them the struggles that you're having. Like, use them as a soundboard maybe, you know, for So what it's so doing. interesting you say that because um, my brother Adam and his business partner Scott, they've actually invested into Food Thoughts. And sometimes we're so wrapped up in trying to drive the business and everything else that they're saying, guys, just give us an update where we're up to. And it's just communication. And we just, like, we want to celebrate with you, want to be part of this with you. And it's like, it's such a good point to make because that's all they ask for sometimes is communication. Yeah, so, like, there's something in, you know, like, not saying anything until you've done it. You know, like proving a point and kind of being like, I'm not going to talk about what I'm doing. I'm just going to do it. And then I'll tell you when I've done it kind of thing. There's something in that. But when, for me, starting a business is, yeah, like I said, it's an exciting, exciting time. So go on, talk to me. You've got this five grand investment and you start this business from scratch with nothing. What was that process like? And what was the moment that really sort of kicked things on for you? Process was literally, the initial bit was probably the hardest thing ever. It's, fashion's quite a closed industry and we didn't, you know, we couldn't really ask anyone or find suppliers for ages. Like, and we were struggling getting things made and the samples were terrible. So that was like the hardest thing. And I, again, at the start, because we had five grand, and like you said, it was so little to start a business. We couldn't afford to make, you know, 300 t-shirts of each color, things like that. So we were like, literally could afford to make like 50. So we had to find someone that would even do that. So we're paying over the odds for it. We had it, we did it all in the UK. And we, to be fair, we didn't know anyone in Leicester. So we got introduced to someone in Nottingham. So we were randomly getting our t-shirts made in, in a mill um, with this lady. And she, she was literally cutting all the fabric there and making our initial t-shirts in the oh UK. Oh my God, that's crazy. Because literally now you can go and find a supplier pretty much anywhere right yeah but back then it was like you said only the big retailers who were getting stuff uh, made really like I mean, they were probably bringing it in from china so to go and find someone locally who wanted to do small units must have been really difficult and do you know what it was it was hard as well because like what you find with clothing is when suppliers know your brand they'll contact you so they won't really reply like i could introduce someone to a, a supplier and try and help them out and the supplier won't really be interested because they think well, I don't know the brand. Like, is it big enough? Is it even going to be worth our time to, like, you know, do all the do all the work if it's a small run? So, like, it was hard, like, at that level. Whereas now, obviously, we have different suppliers approaching us all the time and different things, so we can, you know, sample with different ones. But yeah, it was so hard back then. It was just, um, 
So just... you finally got the product sorted and I remember you launched with just like some very basic long line t-shirts and I remember this because I would never have worn a three quarter length t-shirt in my life before but Couture Club actually brought that into fashion for me and it's funny now that they're coming back around now as well aren't they? Yeah yeah it was just it was you know very core long line tee um, minimal branding the only thing we had was obviously our little branding on the left hand corner of the t-shirt and that and that was it everything else was playing because that was kind of what I wanted and what I wanted to wear at the time and when I started it was kind of pushing on the fact that I couldn't find good quality t-shirts like that anywhere else so that's what we wanted wanted to do and it was for me I thought in my head like if, if I really want these kind of t-shirts there's gonna be a lot of other people out there that really want these t-shirts as well it was like just hard to get on the market and I'd just done X on the beach and people were sending me stuff and everything I was getting sent was like, it was bang average to be fair. And I was wearing it because no one got paid back then. So I was wearing it and I put a poster or something and they'd be like, oh mate, we sold out last night. And I was thinking, wow, these brands are selling out of t-shirts and like, it's not even amazing. And even the picture didn't look amazing and things like that. But that was the power of it back then because no one was really doing it. Wow. So, so when, this, is, this is before people were getting paid no for posts on Instagram. Paid, right? You were getting sent stuff for free. And you thought, you know what? It's free clothes. I'm going to wear it. Yeah. You would tag them and they would sell out. And then you started to understand the power of influencer marketing. Yeah. It was literally, that was, that was what it all was. And, you know, I'm talking people like, you had Gaz from Jordy Shaw. I'm sure he probably, even back then, probably had a million followers nearly. And like, he was doing everything for free for everyone. No yeah. one knew that that was a chargeable transaction it it's was kind of like they were just like oh buzzing you've sent me some clothes i appreciate that i don't have to buy them like, yeah. and they were making good money from you know nightclub stuff and and all the different partnerships but there wasn't really brand partnerships going on then it was all just if you went on tv you did pas so you were actually at the actual cusp of influencer marketing in terms of so when you did x on the beach and that came out a couple of months after you launched couture club and then you started to see the power of your followers. Yeah. I remember you then became like the lead model for Couture Club to the point where literally you tried to use other models and stuff, but no one looked as good in the clothes as you. And also people just wanted to look like Ross Warswick from X and the Beach, right? Yeah, it was, it was weird. I wouldn't say anyone wanted to look like me. That's I all, did. But because <laughs> I was getting approached to model for every other brand, I thought like, you know what, it's almost weird if I don't model for my own brand. Because people used to say to me, you run the business, why do you model for your brand? Like, you need, to, you need to stop doing that and you need to level up and just be the business and let other people do it. And that, when we tried that, it didn't really work at the time. Obviously now, you know, we've aged a I think bit. We, like, I think we, I was part of that conversation with Tom Curl. Tom Curl didn't like it, did he? He was like, we used to try other models and we tried it. He went, you know what, no one looks better than Ross. So like, like. But it's, it's obviously a different world now. We've let the young guns come through now yeah. and those boys all stepped away. But back then... It would have been weird if I was modeling for every other brand as a model separate from obviously Kachoko, but they're not modeling for my own brand and they were doing really well and we weren't. So um, that was why I did it. And, and again, we were a small business. We couldn't afford to pay people to do mm. things like this. Like, you know, yeah, we, we probably could, we could have afforded to pay them, but we wanted to be tight. We wanted to be as, as lean as we possibly could at the start. And I'm obviously all right at it. I won't say I was ever a model and I was never mm. like that. I wasn't my job or anything like that, but I did. Did all right with but it. it comes down to the power of the network again because as soon as you launched the brand, you didn't have to pay anyone. You had all these friends, these influencers to kind of lean on and send the product to and they would post for free because they respected you. You looked after them in Marbella. You sorted them that table at Bijou. So you had all these people in your back pocket, so that was speak. That was exactly it. It was like from the contacts that we made in Marbella, which is probably a lot more football contacts, things like that. We had a lot of support there. And then also, because I'd just done the TV, I'd met, you know, all the Tawi lot. I'd met all the different people from other shows, the Geordie Show lot. So 
I had the number so I could just message them really or, or you know if I didn't have a number I'd just DM them or anything like that and back then they all would support it was a very different world like people you were asking people to retweet back then. It was like, oh, mate, I'm launching this with your retweets. Twitter was bigger than Instagram when we started. Well, that's something I really want to keep drilling home throughout this podcast, is that all that networking you were doing, all those relationships you were building, they were all coming into sort of fruition, like fruition yeah, yeah and, and playing an important role in your business career. And Couture Club kind of, it just, for me, it kind of did really well from the start because, and I think sometimes... We talk about hard work, we talk about resilience and persistence in business, but also sometimes a little bit of luck, right? Because of the, the timing, Massive, yeah. like the timing of you doing X on the beach, influencer marketing sort of rocketing, Instagram coming about. And then even I remember that I went onto Love Island quite early on into yeah. your career as Couture Club. And obviously I was a, a shareholder at the time. Um, and I went on and I used to give me a load of T-shirts to wear and stuff like that. And did, did you actually saw an impact on that, didn't you? Yeah, massively, mate. And I think it's not just the impact of, obviously, what you did for us wearing the brand on the show and things like that. It was the impact afterwards. Like, when you, when you came out, obviously, you still carried on wearing it. But not only that, I can remember when you first landed back and there was a party, like a private Love Island party at District, I think it was, in London. And you said to me and Scott, I'll come down. So we came down and stayed with you. And it was almost like you then introduced us to all your new... Love Island right, mates. Yeah. So then you not only supported the brand by wearing the brand and everything like that, you would basically introduce us to all all the rest of yeah, the guys yeah. as well that were mates with you. And um, it's like we then all had that kind of the new group. So, you know, we had all the Tower, we had all all the Geordie Show, everything like that. And then we had your Love Island crew. Mm. So that kind of it helped massively. It was a massive part of it. Like I, I don't take anything for granted. And for me, all these different things that happen along the way are all huge huge moments you know what yeah, I mean and I brand. really like that the fact that because obviously we had to close down the selfish stick business which was set to be a multi-million pound business but we moved into the air runners which were the segways at the time and they all basically caused us so many problems that we had to shut down that business and then I went off to do Love Island took the social PR you and Scott were left with pretty much the shortest straw with the Kachoka, but it was such a small business at the time. Yeah, I, everyone was like, oh, God, you left with that. Yeah, no, <laughs> everyone was like, everyone cashed out. I said, you can take your 5% back, which obviously looking back now, I'm devastated about because obviously <laughs> it'd be worth a, a good few quid. But like, despite that, and I was going our separate ways, one thing I love about us boys, and you know what, Manchester in general is that we all kind yeah. of support each other and help each other and, and come back together in that way. And that, I think that was really shown at your wedding as well when I saw so many of the old faces and friends like Phil Savage yeah. and Joe from Marbella, people who gave you your first break were there celebrating your beautiful, extravagant wedding with you and so proud of your journey. And I think it's so important to really sort of hit home that there's enough to go around Always. And I think that like we do have this scarcity mindset where we feel like, oh, if that person's successful, maybe I can't be. Whereas I think we've very much got that belief that there's enough to go around. We all can help each other and we can all eat from the same table. Exactly. And that's it. And I think that's one thing that is so strong about our friendship group is the fact that we actually will support each other. And it's not even, it's not a favour, it's just support. Like you just support your mate. Like that's what we want. We want each other to do well, whatever it is, if it's a new venture. It's like anything else, everyone supports, you know, all these big celebrities and stuff like that, whenever they launch skincare thing or whatever. You see everyone jump on it or buying it, sharing it. But like the main thing is actually supporting the people around you and the people that actually need the support. Because I don't think if it wasn't for, you know, yourself and a lot of the people around us when we started the brand and constantly retweeting, constantly sharing stuff, constantly wearing the brand, all them parts had a massive 
you know, they played a huge, mm. huge role in the business. So it's a huge thing. You're supporting each other and, and everyone that you've met along your way as well. Like there's a lot of people that you've met and if they've changed your life, it's kind of like support them in what they're doing as well. Like it, it doesn't need to stop at like, listen, some days it gets annoying if, if you've shared something with someone and then someone else jumps on and like, oh, we share this for me today, we share this. And it's like just got to space it out a little bit but you've yeah. still got to all support each other's businesses 100% and let's talk about how where Control Club has kind of got to like you've obviously you've had stores all over the country now you've got a big flagship store in uh, Trafford Centre you've done some amazing collaborations you've uh, worked with some big names I mean you've had like Deontay Wilder down to, to your store you've done a collaboration with Hardy Caprio like talk to me about what was what was the moment when you realised that you create something special that, that defining moment you went you know what I've done it or has that even happened yet? No there's been a lot of moments along the way that have helped and I've felt like it's like when I went back on TV the second time I noticed a huge spike then because it was like Instagram had really grown a lot a lot then and it was probably the show was probably at its peak relevancy wise so and that was pure in so my went, mind was a business kind of so play. you went back on sex on the beach for, a, sec control for a second yeah. time around but this was strictly a business decision in my head, yeah. you knew you were going on and you were going to play the game perfectly in terms of have all your, your, your yeah well, I, I wouldn't say i played the game perfectly but i went on and I knew what i needed to do and, <laughs> and, and i you know i didn't have any x's on that one it was kind of like the first one i had every x you could possibly have on there and the second time it was like you know they looked after after me and I didn't have any X on there, so it didn't make it awkward for me. I could just go and enjoy a series, yeah. do the show and, and, and you know, make a TV show. Right? Mm. It was, and that, in my mind, obviously no one else knew that, but it was kind of purely, I knew what business I had and I knew where I wanted it to get to and it was a very fast shortcut that I was w willing mm. to take. But when you go from, like, obviously, I remember when you used to, like, rent a room off one of your pals in town or have an apartment in town and not really having much substance to your life to now owning a beautiful house and what area is it again? Ribble Valley. You've got a beautiful home, you've got a beautiful um, life, you've got a, a flash car, you've just done this a beautiful wedding like. I've got a smart car outside mate. you got a smart car now? Yeah, smart car well, outside. But what happened to the G-Wagon? Getting rid mate, I'm going electric so oh, I just, I've just okay. got a little run around at the moment right, mate, okay. but I love it, it's nice. It's but nice. No, but I'm so proud to see that because for, for us, from that nightlife industry, there's no consistency, there's no security. And like, now you've got that level of security and that that's, um, that stability. And I, like, does, does that mean a lot to you to have yeah. that? Yeah, massively. And I, I wouldn't even, like, I, I do, I feel very comfortable. Like, yeah. I feel comfortable in my life. I, I don't say, I wouldn't say, you know, I'm financially free in any means at all because I work my ass off and like, I always will keep doing that. Like, it worries me to think what I would do if I wasn't working all the time. I probably mm -hmm. would get very bored. Like I used to always say, I'm, you know, I'll pick a sport and I'll train as if I was a professional like, for six months with professionals and like do that if whenever I retire, like mm -hmm. at an old age, because I think it's so important to keep your mind active and your body active, like when you're older. And if I didn't have a passion like I do with Kachoko, I always think, what, what would I do other than passive, you know, investments and different things that I've got going on. But I feel comfortable, but there's a long way to go. But for me, that's the most important bit. I think that's something I crave a lot is security. Like, I think when people will say to me, why do you keep pushing for more? Why do you want more? And I think it's just like, I want that level of security. And I think that comes from being financially free, which I'm not oh, yet. Yeah, I'm exactly the same. And I agree with you 100%. I think having that security is almost like, the feeling of that being secure is the goal. Because mm. up until that point, like, you know, there's days when you think, yeah, I can get what I want. Like, yeah. But 
I'm not secure. Like yeah. I want to keep going. I want. I want to strive for a little bit more. And, I, and you know, you want security for yourself. But then, like now that I've got, you know, a son, I want security for him in the future. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to give him everything when it gets to a stage. I'm going to make him like work a little bit for it and and kind of learn the ropes a little bit. I want him to be similar to myself, where he's he's entrepreneurial and things like that. But I also want to know that you know, if he ever needs anything, I'll be able to provide it for him. I think him. that's one thing that I really want to focus on is like creating generational wealth for my family because yeah. I've never had that before. And I think I want to be the one to do it. But just as well, I really want to hit home that business isn't easy. Like no. I'm, I'm finding it tough right now. The whole world's probably finding it tough right now. And like, what have been some of your most testing moments in business? And how do you find ways to kind of power through and find that resilience? So it's, it's been a few, it's... One year, I'm talking a few years ago, it was when we were growing very, very quick. And we had a financial control at the time, not a, not a financial director. And myself and Scott didn't really know the numbers as well as we should have done. You know, we can hold our hands up, we can say it's us. And um, he was telling us we we're making this amount of money. So, so we were upping our marketing budget. We we're doing a lot of marketing events. We we're doing a lot of influencer stuff. You know, we we're doing shoots all around the world, everything. And we got to like the end of a year and like what we thought we would have made, you know, like unbelievable money. We were like, we made next to nothing. Mm. And you know, you had product that was on order for the year after and we were like, how has this happened? And I think being at a stage where you're almost like at rock bottom financially inside the business, you're like, shit, what, what do we do? Like, what do we do? And I think we just tightened everything up. And you know what it was? It was just, just focusing on the goal and learning because we didn't know that. We kind of thought we'd hire someone and they'd kind of give us the right information. It was the wrong information we were getting given. So we were making the wrong decisions from the wrong information. We got an FD and she really tightened everything up and gave us a full picture and started understanding the numbers. And like I was chatting to you before, I probably spent the last year and a half focusing on all the areas that I'm not strong at just because I, I felt that massive imposter syndrome was in the fact that I was in my business and I was good at focusing on the areas that I was doing, which was like the marketing and design side of things but I didn't have a clue what was going on at that end. And I think that scare years ago made me think like, I, don't, I can't let that happen again. Even though it's not necessarily my strong part of the business, I just need to know everything about the numbers. I need to understand everything. I need to know exactly where we're at at all points. And I spent a year and a half doing that. And now I understand that I can focus back on design and back on, on the marketing side of things and really support the rest of the team there because that's where I feel like I can add the most value in the business. So... I think it's just knowing where you're weak and trying to, you know, listen, I, I'm not going to be an expert in, in that side of the business, but knowing it and understanding it and being able to, to read it and make decisions from it is, is important. 100%. And I feel like it's those challenging moments that force you to level up. Yeah. And I've been saying this recently, like I'm going for a bit of a, a tough time. I'm thinking, do you know what? This means I'm having to level up. I'm having to go into areas that, that make me feel uncomfortable. And I'm very much like you. I'm very much like forward facing at my business in terms yeah. of being the networking guy who can connect anyone to anyone, doing all the meetings with the brands and stuff. But I need to understand the finances. I need to understand what's going on in the business in order to be a well sort of rounded businessman. And I had to level up and it feels like that's exactly what you had to do as well. Exactly that. And, and now I feel so much more comfortable focusing on the areas I'm good at because I understand that. And I know that the work's been done in the background, but when I get it put in front of me, I know it's correct. And I know that I can see if there's any issues there. So we've obviously talked a lot about uh, business, but let's talk about family because obviously you've had a beautiful baby boy now, Mason. 
Yeah. Um, you've just got married to the beautiful Danielle Fogarty, for anyone who doesn't know Ross and his setup. Talk to me about that. Like, what's it like being a family man now? It's amazing, mate. It's, you know, it's like anything. For the first time ever, I probably feel, and I think when I spoke before and I said, I feel comfortable. I feel comfortable now because I've got a family. You know, like, you know, I, I come home and Dan's there, Mason's there, Luna, the dog's there. Like, I work hard, really hard, and then I come home, I've got a feeling of, if you know, home. And then, you know, put Mason to bed and I'll probably crack on and work a little bit more later on. But, yeah, I feel comfortable, I feel happy, and, and almost a bit like, it sounds crazy, but, like, proud that I've got, I've got married. You know, like, I don't know, it's, it's a weird feeling. Like, someone said to me, oh, do you feel different when you're married? You almost feel like, I'm proud that I managed to, do a wedding, do the speech. Like, you know, all these things that, it kind of made me feel like older because I'd completed it. I'd almost wow. like ticked it off. It's, it's a strange thing. I can't really explain it, but it's like, it was a huge event to organize anyway. For then to have everyone in one place for you guys. I, like everyone probably looks at me and thinks, oh, you've done TV, you love the attention, stuff like that. I don't really, I like the attention when I, for five minutes or 10, like 10 seconds here and there having a bit of banter, but then I, you, I sit back and kind of relax a little bit. But to have the attention on me for a whole day and, and like actually enjoy it and see so much love in a place, it, it really made me feel, I don't know, just, it was, it was special. But since that day, I feel like just more mature. Yeah, it's like a milestone, right? Yeah. Is that, do you feel like you've become a man? Yeah, that's what I was going to say, but I thought it might seem strange because people are like, hang on a second, you're 30-something years no, old and you're I'm... only just saying you're becoming a man. But that's what I feel like. I Mate, feel like I'm I've not become a man. A man. 100%. I hold my hands up, but I am not a man yet. I'm still a boy. I've still got a boy mentality. I'm, I'm maturing. I'm getting there. But I feel like because I lived certain, a certain lifestyle in my 20s, like this rock star lifestyle, that I didn't have any reason to kind of mature. And I feel like I'm a late mature, if that makes sense. What you've just said there is exactly how I feel. I mm. feel like... I feel like I'm, now that I'm married, I feel like now I'm a man. I come home to Dan and Mason, I feel different when I come home now to how I felt a couple of months ago. Because wow. I feel like I've been at work, like I'm, I'm making them proud every single day. I come home and then I'm, I'm dad, do you know what I mean? Does it give you an extra layer of purpose having a baby boy and a wife to go home to? Does it make you work harder or is, it, is there any sort of... It, it, it makes me, in my mental, like my mental side, makes me want to work harder. There's loads of challenges that come with it. Again, I, like we said before, I live in a rural valley, so it's, I travel to Manchester like back and forth each day. So there's a lot of traveling time now. It's probably, you know, from an hour to an hour and 15 minutes, depending on traffic each way. So there's challenges in fitting everything in, mm. you know, like that. Like I get up super early. This morning I was about 5.45, so I'm not saying super early, but that's, like, that's my time and went in the gym for a little bit. And then when Mason got up, I to spend time with him before I come come to work and then when I get home I always make sure I get home bath him put him to bed then when he's gone to bed I'll probably catch up on things that I've missed in, in them periods there but it's it is challenging I think anyone that's in a business or anyone that's successful in a business has got to find it challenging as well because mm. from the moment you wake up you're almost chasing your tail if it's like if you don't wake up before Mason wakes up and he wakes you up by waking up you kind of feel like the whole day but I've, I've, someone's woke me up, then you're doing things for them, then you're like, oh, I need to get this from, you're just chasing your tail. And I think mm. getting used to that and balancing it is something that's going to take time. But 100%. I, the difference is I'm enjoying the challenge. I don't find it, oh, this is killing me doing this. I find it like, it's a real challenge. It's something that everyone's got to go through and every successful person's always going to have a balancing act to do. But I'm enjoying figuring it out. Yeah, a lot of people say that when they've got kids, like it's just... It's a job, but it's the best job in the world, if that makes sense. 100%. But 
But it's like you've got work, you've got your friends, you've got your family, you've got your immediate family, Mason, Danielle, mm. and then you've got, you know, your own gym, like all your different things like that. And it's trying to fit all them in. Yeah is the challenge mm, and keeping everyone happy and sometimes that's what's hard like so for me at the moment my main focus is obviously you know my, my family work and that's pretty much it right now and getting yourself like focusing on yourself as well I know you said you're getting back into the gym and looking after yourself I think that's one yeah I spoke to you a, a while ago and that was the one part that I was struggling to get in was, was the gym but for me that's a massive part of my life it has been since I was 13, 14 I've always trained and getting back in there makes everything else easier Mm. every session I ever do I come out of it feeling 10 times better and then the whole day I've like moved up a gear because of it so mm. that's something that I need to really focus on and give more time for myself and to, yeah. to tick off the boxes that you know do make me happy which then make in turn ever, everything else go better 100% well listen I'm, I'm super proud of you and I think one thing that I really noticed at the, at the wedding as well is your relationship with your dad is kind of complex right because I'm sitting here saying I'm proud of you but I feel like there's a level of what I saw on that wedding that you kind of just want him to be proud of you as well. Do you feel like your dad is proud of you? My dad is the most complex person in the world. The most complex person. Like he, I, f I feel like he is proud of me. I don't know if he'll ever tell me that, mm. but I know he wants to, but I don't think he knows how to. Mm. And, and like, it, it's strange. Like my relationship with my dad's always, like you know, and, I, and my friends know, it's always been a very strange one. He's, He's made me become who I am today, so I've got to thank him massively for that. Um, like I, you know, I've been super independent since I was since I stopped racing. I've just been kind of by myself, just focusing on that. When we were racing, he did absolutely everything for me. My childhood, he gave me like you know the best childhood you could ever wish for. Traveling, you know, the UK, traveling the world, racing like what kid can say they've done that? Like it was amazing. But then I've, I've kind of yeah like been left to be independent, but. I like that because that's made me who I am today. So, mm. you know, I've got to thank you for that. But he just struggles to say how he feels. Yeah, I think there's, an, <laughs> there's definitely an old school mentality where they, yeah. these old school chaps, they struggle. My dad was the same, like, to say how proud they are of you. And, and yeah. that's all we want as young guys, right? Oh, you know what, mate? It, it is. And I think that's partly what drives you as well. Is like, I think the business was, for me, it was like my way of proving, probably not to him, that like... I can do it. Like obviously, in my speech, I was joking about saying like, oh, "I used to think I was a playboy living in Marbella," but it's like proving to him that I'm not just a playboy living in Marbella kind of thing. Like I've, I've you know, I've, I've built something, I've done something, and it's you know, it's successful. So, well, I think that's a really good way to end the podcast, mate, because you are far from just a playboy in Marbella. And even from the moment I met you, I feel like you were misjudged in so many ways. Like um, even like your relationship to girls, like you were always only ever wanted to be loved and to love someone. Like I remember that from even in our early 20s, like you just wanted a girlfriend, you wanted that kind of notebook love and I feel like now you've got it, I'm really I'm really proud of you and then you've built this incredible business and family and I just feel like, mate, you've proved everyone wrong. You proved me wrong because there was times when I was like, <laughs> is he going to level up? And you certainly have done that, mate and um, I'm glad you've had the opportunity today on this podcast to talk about your story. So no, thank you so much. Thank mate. you Thanks so much, me, man. And let's keep smashing it. Yeah. Stay My man. Yeah. Do you know what? I just really enjoyed catching up with an old friend and I meant what I said at the start of the podcast. I was just so proud to see Ross on his wedding day to see how far he's come because I think sometimes he doesn't realise what he's achieved and I'm just really proud of him because he has been on a journey and I want the life lesson to be from this podcast is that 
trust the process. Like he didn't know when he was in Marbella, meeting all those high net worth individuals and celebrities and different people that one day he could be utilizing them to create an incredible business. And even when he went on X on the beach, like that could have been something that tarnished his career, but instead it was a platform which he used to his advantage. And I'm just really proud of him. And he's ended up exactly where he needs to be with an incredible business and an even more beautiful family. So thank you, Rossi. And I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please don't forget to continue to share, review or follow wherever you listen to your podcast. And please tag me in any of your stories or takeaways from the pod so I can reshare or just come back to you with any of my feedback as well. And make sure you join us next week when we'll be joined by Richard Fleishman, a good friend of mine who started off his career in Combination Street, but has then gone on to achieve incredible milestones on tour with Elton John, starring in multiple West End shows and even some new hit Netflix series. I will see you next week for another life lesson.